everybody, and welcome back to The Tea with Crema. My name is Chris. I'll be one of your hosts today, and I'm joined by my best friend, Emma. Good morning, everyone. I wish that I had, like, a book-based pun on how to call someone your best friend, but, like, in books. But I don't. Puns are not my strong suit. And in case you haven't guessed already, the theme of the day is books. So we are having another book-based episode, and I'm super, super excited to really get into this book because I have been putting people on this book for months at this time. But before we begin, we do still have our tea check. Emma, what tea did you bring today? I brought back an oldie but a goodie. Something that I am setting a boundary with myself about is my spending. So I'm trying to finish all of the things like in my pantry before I buy more because I have a tendency to buy lots of boxes of tea and only drink one or two. So I need like the sampler boxes. I think those are what would fit my life best. But peach and passion fruit, back at it again. What are you drinking today, Chris? I don't remember your peach and passion fruit. Who is that one by? Ahmad Tea. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it's very it's very light, very fragrant, very does the things. It would be a very good iced tea. Mm, that's what I was about to ask. Would it make a good like summer iced tea? And it sounds like mm-hmm. it would. Mm-hmm. Today, I have a tea by what I've kind of come to discover is one of my emerging favorite tea brands that I get from Sips By. And this, is an, this one is by David's Tea. And it is an organic cinnamon rooibos chai. And, mm. you know, I'm just always a fan of a spicy tea, a chai, if you will. So this one's like right up my alley. It's also caffeine free. So that part is really nice. I've just really enjoyed it. I've learned that I can't drink too many cinnamon featuring teas because I may or may not have an allergy. I can't confirm that I do or don't have an allergy to cinnamon, but... What happens when you... I get a scratchy throat if I drink too many cinnamon drinks. I'm not a nurse. I feel like we should consult my sister about this, but that definitely sounds like an allergy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's fine. You know, it's one of those things that like, because, you know, I'll drink the same tea for like three or four mornings in a row. And then after that, like third or fourth morning, I'm like, oh, I have like a sore throat or something. But also like I work in a place where I talk a lot and like people get sick a lot. And so sometimes I'm just like, whatever it is what it is. But like also it might be the cinnamon based drinks. I haven't officially figured it out yet will i stop drinking them no maybe not for three or four days in a row but (laughs) (laughs) it's like is it covid or is it allergies (laughs) it feels like that covid the flu allergies who actually knows what's happening right now but (sighs) in case you're wondering i might have a cinnamon allergy no one was wondering but the more you know the more you know i was thinking of a pun or i was trying to think of a pun this episode will be a page turner (laughs) is that a pun (laughs) i was trying to make a pun i was like pages books chapters the next chapter of this episode is (laughs) checking in actually so you see we turn the page it's literally happening so at the beginning of the year we did set a goal for how many books we were going to read and i had a very clear-cut straightforward goal i'm going for 12 that's my number i'm sticking to it did you have, I don't remember if you had like a specific number per se. You did have a number actually. It was like yeah. 40 or some crazy number. It was like some number that didn't make sense. I think it was 40, it was either 46 or 48. 48 sounds crazy. So let me, no, but I feel like it wasn't because I was like, that's a lot of books to be reading. 
in a month. Because you you said that you read some wild amount last year too. Again, coming from someone who read like four books last year and whose goal is twelve, anything higher than fifteen is a crazy number. Oh, I said forty six. And I think I said 46 because I set 23 last year because I was like, oh, at least two books per month and then ended up going over that. So then I was like, oh, let's try for 48. And I was like, wait, that's four books a month. That sounds kind of crazy. Um, so I settled on 46. So currently with my 46, I'm at 45. <laughs> wow. And it's September. So I'm thankfully ahead. I was a little worried I wasn't going to make it for a second, but we're we're on it. So I could just like read one book until from now until December. But, you know, knowing how this job is going so far, that might be the only number of books I get in. How are you doing on your goal of 12 books? Well, I actually finished my 12 books like two months ago, I think, or a month and a half ago. So I've been done with my 12 books for a while. I'm actually on book 14 because I finished a 13th book in the meantime and I'm on book 14 and they all of the reviews have been posted on the Instagram check them out but there will definitely be kind of like a compilation of all of the books that I finish by the end of the year so I have definitely surpassed my goal and I'm excited to set a new one for the new year I'm not gonna set one between now and the end of the year I just don't want to that's a lot of pressure. You already met your goal, so like I did it. I did the thing in my keep time the frame. The momentum going, yeah. So now I'm just reading for true leisure. Not that I wasn't before, but now there's now anything that I read is going above and beyond. So I am excited to have met that goal actually, and to have it measurable. But what are you reading right now, then? <laughs> well, thank you for asking. I'm currently reading a nonfiction book. It is by Christia Donaldson. She's the founder of the Hair product that I use. Thank God it's natural. She did pass away, I want to say about a year or so ago. Mm. So she's no longer the CEO. But this was the book that she read. And it's a guide to caring for and maintaining natural hair. And as someone who has gotten better at doing the base upkeep of my hair, I'm just really curious about other things because I've just been kind of winging it up to this point. And so it'll be nice to actually like read a guide, learn some like actual tips and tricks and even step-by-step mm-hmm. things, potentially even learning how to style my own hair. Or if I were to go to someone to be able to use the actual words to describe what I want done, as opposed to just like mm-hmm. pointing at pictures on my phone and be like this, I want this. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, though. And I love that there's a guide because I know there's so many people out there who, you know, like this is not something that's widely spoken about. So it's a lot of, you know, oral tradition that's passed on and it's a lot of like learning and trial and error. So that's great. We love to see it. I'm excited to to finish it and we'll see what I do with it. Literally on my head. We'll see what happens. So (laughs) literally we will please, please keep posted for the photos that will follow this book reading. (laughs) Yeah, so like Chris mentioned before, we are all over the Instagram with these. These come out once a month after Chris and I both read books for the month. We leave reviews. So, so far we've done a total of almost 60 books, or we're about to do a total of 60 books after September's book picks come out. So if you're curious, head over to our Instagram at the Tea with Crema. I'm currently reading for my book club. So Chris had recommended a book, Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Amy Lynn Tan. So we are, I'm actually, so sorry, Chris, this is now where I tell you, we are not reading that book. I'm going to read that <laughs> book. 
I'm going to read the book on my own. After like discussing with the book club, I was like, actually, I don't think I want to hear what you guys are going to say about it. I think this is something that I'll read first and then I'll recommend it. I know it's going to be a good book, but there's certain things that I'm just like, I don't know. Like there's certain things I want to preserve. There's certain, I don't. I feel like I'm not making sense as to why I said no to the having people read this book. I mean, sometimes there are stories you just want to enjoy by yourself and then yeah. potentially talk about as opposed to... Because it is a different experience to essentially have to go through your emotions as you're reading with other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know what it is about that particular book that like has you feeling that way, but I'm... I'm here for it. It is what it, I still thought it was a great book, honestly. Definitely one of my five-star reviews. And then I immediately read the sequel. Yeah. And I don't know. I think maybe maybe it's... And this is probably a deeper conversation. Like something about like Asian writers that I try to like... Not that I try to gatekeep it, but I also am very like wary of having non... I don't know, like non-Asian people reading about it. Is that weird? Mm. It makes... Like, probably. I get it. I don't necessarily know how to explain it either, but like... Especially if the book club is with non-Asian people, there's a certain level yeah. of just like, I don't actually necessarily care for your anything right now. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. Like, it's even when I, when I even like recommend like BIPOC writers and like black women writers too, like I, I have a very specific way that I recommend books to people because there's certain things that I know people are going to be like, oh, that's like, I couldn't connect with it because of whatever reason. And it's like, mm, was it that reason or is it because <laughs> we have some biases? So there's like, I'm always, I, yeah, like I know who, who would enjoy what books and I know who would, yeah. So anyway, that's probably a deeper conversation for another day that we are not getting into today. <laughs> so what is on your to be read list though? That's going to be your next book if you have one yet. I mean, I have the stack of books that you gave me before you went back to Japan. And I don't know. After reading Circe, I'm actually not sure I care to read The Song of Achilles. Mm. It wasn't bad. I just, like, her writing style was very, like, meh, that's fine. Like, I just am not convinced that I need to read another one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I do have The Book Thief. I still want to read The Wicked whatever you call what? it when there's four books. I was like, quadology? <laughs> I was like, because I got quintet, that's five, and then I got trilogy, three, but is it a quartet? Quology? I don't know. Some, I don't know. But those four books are definitely on my list. The Lord of the Rings are on my list. So I have plenty of books that are on, on the list. I just don't know, after I go here, I've just, I've been getting better at just following what I want to read as opposed to what I feel like I have to read. Good. We'll just see like what I'm feeling at the end. Cause I might save, I honestly might just put Wicked as part of my, uh, next year's goal. Cause I don't mm. think next year's goal is going to be numeric per se. I just yeah. want to be a little bit more thoughtful about what I'm reading next year. This year I was just like, I just want to read books and did great. So we'll kind of see what 2024 is like for literacy for me. What about you? What you got on there so far? Uh, so yeah, definitely Daughter of the Moon Goddess is next. And I have the actual physical book. And I also have this like ebook versus physical book. There's a lot of things that I need to read physically. So that's kind of where I'm at too of like, what is it? What is accessible to me? So that's definitely on my list. My list, my TBR is always going up. I think now being in this role, there's a lot more maybe like leadership books I would like to read. And not even like leadership, like different types of how to run a school, you know, like data driven and all those like buzzwords that we talk about in educational leadership that is sometimes I think was 
inaccessible to me before because I was in the classroom and now feels a little bit more relevant. So now I'm a little bit more keen to get back into it and read more. So yeah, those are kind of on my TBR, but definitely Daughter of the Moon Goddess is next. And who knows, that may be our next book review episode. But as we segue into our current book review episode, Chris, tell us what book we're reading today. Today's book comes highly recommended by me. And... (laughs) Was literally trying to figure out where I found this book before recommending it to so many people. I honestly could not even be, I couldn't, I don't know. It might have come from a Target run. It might have come from just like a Google search. Truly, I, maybe I was just at Barnes and Noble. I, I don't know where it came from, but the point is it has been a really, really good book. I've recommended it to so many people, coworkers, friends. Emma, my mom, my sister, I've just been, anyone who will listen to me talk about books has gotten this recommendation (laughs) in the past like three or four months since I've read it. But without any further ado, the name of the book is The Book of Boundaries, Set the Limits That Will Set You Free by Melissa Urban, who also happens to be one of the co-founders of The Whole 30 which was probably also a factor for me choosing this book because I know Emma talks about Whole30. I don't know if she's ever done it. I don't know if anyone's (laughs) ever actually done it, but we've definitely talked about Whole30 before. So I think, you know, sometimes the universe just be putting things in your pathways. And I was like, I recognize Whole30. Let's give this book a try. And it has been a really, really helpful book in so many different ways. I think in part because I was really struggling in this new role with figuring out how, both in terms of personal and professional boundaries, even in within the, the professional realm itself, just keeping things really manageable and not feeling like I was taking on too many things. And so it just was one of those things that I needed to be better at. And this was one of the books that really helped take it from an idea to something that I could actually practice and use tangibly. And I just, there's so many reasons and things that I liked and enjoyed about this book. And so have literally, literally been up just advocating for everyone that I know to read this book. So I'm pretty sure that my review on our book picks is five stars. Oh, it's not. It's not. It's probably because I wanted more of the book, honestly. (laughs) It's actually a four and a half star. So according to Christopher, in his own words, this is on our June picks. It says, I really enjoyed Melissa Urban's writing style. She kept the book engaging and easy to digest. Her use of stories from her own life also helped the advice described in the book for more real and applicable, or feel more real and applicable. I love that she included resources that could help with further reading and development. The only thing I could have benefited for was, or for Christopher, the only thing I could have benefited from was more. <laughs> A few more examples in each chapter would have been great and very enjoyable. Look at that. You ever given something a four and a half star review because you wanted more of the thing? Right. Wild. So that was my review. Truly needed. Just I just wanted more of the book. Honestly. Mm, yeah, I agree. After reading it. So Chris was like, you need this, especially in your new role that you're about to start. Like, if there's anything I've learned, it's that you need to set boundaries. And I've also I've always felt like Chris has set very good boundaries. Like I I think that that's one of your strengths, definitely, is that you're very good at like knowing what's good for you and setting boundaries around that. So that's why it was also a little bit surprising. And I was like, I feel like this is like him trying to hint at me that I don't have good boundaries, which 
some would say, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so I, I also really enjoyed reading it. I, the book itself covers a lot of different boundaries. So it kind of goes over boundaries in different parts of your life. So for example, each of the chapters are about different sectors of your life that need to have boundaries or that you should have boundaries in. So they talk about workplace, they talk about parents and in-laws, grandparents. So when your parents become grandparents and other family members, they talk about friends and neighbors, talk about romantic relationships. She also talks about co-parenting. Um, she talks about boundaries around food, alcohol, and table talk, sensitive subjects, and then also boundaries with yourself. So what were some of the main takeaways from the book though, Chris? Like which part did you feel was most applicable to your life? I think ultimately one of the things that I took away the most from was really having the mindset that boundaries are not for the other person. You're not setting boundaries because you're trying to control the actions of others. You are just essentially getting others to respect your existence and where your limits are. And so I think one of the the clearest examples and explanations of that, which is not necessarily the most applicable to my life, but I it really helped sell the metaphor, which was when she was talking about, you know, that grandpa that comes over and he smokes and he's just really adamant that, you know, he just, he smokes. It is what it is. And so setting the boundary is not about getting the grandpa to stop smoking. It's about essentially him respecting the fact that like you don't smoke in my house. So I'm not setting a boundary that controls your action in the sense that like I'm telling you don't ever smoke. I don't really care that you smoke. That's your life. You do whatever. However, in these spaces that I am a part of, then this will be what it is. And so essentially like sticking to that boundary of like, if you're coming to my house, you're not going to smoke, you know, that's a non-negotiable. And then having the the ability and making sure that you are able to follow up with the consequences. And so the language around setting those boundaries is not about controlling your actions. It truly, how you live your life, the things that you do is really just, that's you, that's between you and whoever. However, anytime I'm involved, these are the things that I need. And so if you're not able to respect it, these are going to be the consequences that come from that. And I think it's really interesting because it feels, it felt like when I was reading it, the, the consequences for work honestly felt easier to apply than some of the like personal boundaries that you would have with other people. And I think in part, it's just because there's something about those work lines that you can draw a little bit easier. And then, you know, there's like the not fun stuff about work laws and all that other stuff that you can always kind of fall back on as well. Whereas with the people that you have in your life, you almost sometimes have to solely rely on those boundaries that you're setting yourself because of the fact that like there aren't necessarily hard and fast rules of family or motherhood or siblinghood. Like it just, those are things that you have to establish with those individuals. And sometimes that's hard. One thing that I did appreciate about her writing, though, is that she is very cognizant of the fact that she's a white woman in a lot of these spaces, right? So she understands that while she may feel, you know, like it's difficult being a woman in the workplace, she also recognizes that her, like her being adjacent to, you know, very privileged livelihoods and very privileged positions of power are 
you know, very real as well. So I thought that that was interesting where she says, you know, like a lot of these things, like I understand that I can set these boundaries, but someone from a marginalized group may not feel the same type of privilege that I get to experience. So I'm like very cognizant of that. So I thought that was interesting too. But I agree, like there's certain things that felt very applicable and, but yeah, like there's laws that we have to work around, right? There's like certain things that we just have to be mindful of as well. So it's really about like within yourself, like, okay, if I don't set that boundary, like maybe it's also like setting the boundary with myself that I can, I can control this at work, but I cannot control the work environment a lot of times, if that makes sense. It's really just finding those things that you can control and then setting boundaries around them. When I first started reading it, I was like, oh, and she, she even mentions there's this part where she says like, your stomach may be starting to clench and you may be feeling anxiety around this conversation. I was like, oh, that's me. Like, I am very tense thinking about like setting boundaries because I think I am a people pleaser. So this is something that I'm going to struggle with. But I really thought that the way that she accessed a lot of the boundary setting was or the way that she set up the boundaries felt very accessible with the green, yellow, red. So if you're reading this book, she also talks about that there's a green way to approach this. And this is kind of like the very like low bar, um, you know, it's kind of like a, this is your warning, like I'm putting out this boundary. And if it's still continuing to not be followed, then it's like, okay, there's a yellow. And then immediately after, not immediately after, but you know, after some time, then you set out the red boundary. So I felt like that was really good because I think anytime I've thought of boundaries and as I was reading through it, I was like, oh yeah, I'd immediately go to red recognizing that I think that there's some probably like some steps that need to be followed, but wouldn't know how to do that. So I felt like this really helped you walk through okay, like this is how you first set the first one. Okay, it's still not being followed. Let's like escalate it up. Okay, it's still not being followed. Okay, red. That was one of my mainies too. It's so interesting that you definitely felt the stomach thing. I was like, yes, I'm so excited to set boundaries with people. Because I feel like you set boundaries very well. I think that's something that you already do very well. So yeah, I felt like that was interesting too. Because as you know, what's funny too is because as I was reading, I was like, man, I feel like Chris is like, yep, validation, affirmation. <laughs> well sometimes you just need to hear other people say it yeah i thought that that was really good which section would you think is most like most people if they're ever going to pick up this this book should read the family boundaries honestly i truly thought it was going to be the workplace but i picked up the book for the workplace boundaries and honestly those family boundaries i think actually stood out a lot more at the end of the day, like some of these rules aren't necessarily, I wouldn't call them rules, but some of these boundaries aren't necessarily hard and fast in terms of like, you can only ever use these around family. I think yeah. ultimately what I also really enjoyed was just seeing the scenarios and the language around setting boundaries because it just, again, once you're able to kind of set boundaries in certain aspects of your life, it helps set boundaries in all of them. And so, but I just, I just feel like some of the topics and concepts that came up in the family section were particularly salient again in the sense that like you know these are people that like by default you're stuck with and like there's a different level of like man these people like love me and it can be sometimes much harder to have those conversations with someone who you're super close to that you've grown up with that has raised you that's done all of these things for you Versus someone that like I've worked with for two, three, four years and like, okay, cool. And at the next job, we'll never talk to this person again. Those are different types of conversations. Those are, they feel different and the stakes are different. I think she even mentions talking about like 
sometimes like having those conversations with people that are your family, it can sometimes feel, and if you've never had those conversations 20, 30 years into your interactions, 40 years into your interactions, having that conversation the first time can feel almost like a slap in the face of just like, who are you? Who do you think you're talking to? Like, this has never been a thing that we've had before. And so I feel like for that, that's much harder because of the fact that you are truly breaking sometimes long-standing norms and expectations. Almost that like generational trauma. You know who would really benefit from this? Some Polynesians. I'm looking at y'all, all you Samoans and Tongans. You guys would really benefit from this book. And I think that it's very relevant to a lot of people, especially when you're talking about the normalized cultures, right? And trying to, you know, discuss that, like, this is actually a really unhealthy space for me to be in if you're going to come discussing this. Something she also does in the book, too, which I felt like was really helpful was she lists out when family members or she says when work people, when blah, 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 don't respect your boundaries, it can look like, because I feel like a lot of it is kind of covert, right? Like a lot of it, you know, like, okay, yeah, that's, that's unacceptable work behavior. Like I wouldn't, I would want to set a boundary around that. But some of it is also those little things. Like it's the little things that you might just kind of normalize, but are not actually normal behavior or to yourself, you would want to set a boundary around it. And I hesitate to even say normal behavior so much as just like, it could just be work culture behavior. It could be, I think really sometimes just subtle and a shift in the power dynamic, low key, sometimes abusive Mm. gaslighting, I think is a word that like comes to mind when I was reading those parts. And so again, I don't know, something about saying normal implies that like a lot of people will do that. I also think that some of it had to do with like power dynamics and it could very well be some people's norms, but Mm, yeah, no, I agree. The one thing that I thought about the family part is that they talk about forcing hugs and kisses on you or on your kids is a conversation that's been coming up a lot with, with like specifically in the spaces that I run in like Pacific Islander families, because that is such a part of the culture of like, when you leave a place, like you say goodbye to everyone and regardless of whether or not you know them, you give them a hug and a kiss. And I remember seeing a video a couple of years ago about like, I'm not going to have my kid, like if my kids don't want to give you a hug, that's fine. And to a lot of people, they're like, oh, what do you mean? Like, that's so rude. But even now with my own nephews, I'm like, you know, if I like ask for a hug and they're like, no, I'm like, okay, great. Like, thank you for setting that boundary. Or, you know, like, is it a high five or like, what do they want, you know, from me? But I can sometimes see how parents would be like, oh, that's like so rude. Like, go give them a hug. And they're like, no, I'm like, they're, they're setting, they're trying to set autonomy on their own bodies and they don't want to give a hug. And that's okay. Like, we don't have to give hugs. We don't have to give kisses. Like, I try to empower like the little ones with that because I think it's, I don't, I guess, yeah, I think it's like a cultural norm of like, yeah, you do that with all of your elders. And I'm like, but a lot of these elders have sometimes perpetuated harm on, you know, people in the family. So like, that's why these parents are now setting the boundaries. So their kids don't have to, don't have to go through that. So I always felt like, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good to think about. Mm, That generational stuff will get you. Generational trauma. I see you. (laughs) So. How will you use this book going forward? I think you kind of mentioned before, but moving forward, how do you think that this book will kind of help you guide conversations or guide boundaries? Well, part of it starts with getting everyone that I know to read the book. And in part because one of the things that she mentions is that sometimes it's hard because people are, you're dealing with people who have never had someone set a boundary with them before. Yeah. And so for me, part of it is getting others to 
see this side of things. Because I think like you've mentioned, I have set boundaries in my life before with people around me. And so some of this did feel very natural, but that's not always the case for people. Even again, like people in my family, like we are now because of literally having read this book and like being able to share that with my mom, with my sister, being able to like have those conversations in a more like mutually understanding way. And so I think it kind of also removes some of that power dynamic of like, I've read this book, so I'm the expert and I know all about this thing. Whereas now it can be more of a, we have read this book. And when I'm using this language, you know that it's not coming out of a, te- out of a space of hate or anger. It's just a place of monitoring my own well-being and being able to have this conversation with you as opposed to at you. So far, it's just been right now a lot of getting people around me to read the book as well. I'm working on trying to find all of the different ways that people like to digest literature, whether that's a physical book, an ebook, whatever, but I'm just trying to find it and make it accessible because again, I think it helps when I have found that it helps when other people are also having that conversation because sometimes you struggle to find the words by yourself or sometimes you're just like really nervous about having a conversation with a particular person or around a particular topic. And again, if you have people around you that you can lean on for support because they have a common understanding, it can make it a little bit easier as opposed to I have to kind of like give you a quick and dirty summary of what I'm trying to do based on this book that I read. And then you try to like help coach me or like talk me through it or we work through it together, workshop it together. If, you know, we've all read the book, then we can kind of skip that part. We have a common understanding. Now let's like workshop this idea together. Yeah, definitely. I think that's like, that was a section that she talks about too. Like, yes, in an ideal world, people would understand right when you're at green and be like, oh yeah, of course, like, of course I'll, I'll keep uphold that boundary on your end. But a lot of times it is such a messy conversation because while you're setting the boundary for yourself, others tend to can can tend to move into a defensive place of, well, why are you doing this to me now? Like we've been friends for 10 years. Like, has it always been an issue or blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and, and the thing I like that she says is that boundaries are flexible. So in the moment, if you are feeling uncomfortable, that's okay. And when you feel like you don't need the boundary anymore, or if you need to tighten the boundary, you are more than welcome to do that. Just because I set this boundary with a person doesn't mean that it's always going to feel this way. Maybe when I'm in a better place in my life, then it'll feel like, okay, yeah, we can go back to or we can, you know, now we kind of have these things in place, which I thought was really interesting. Like she talks about with the grandparents, the nickname, right, for like the son and how the grandpa would call the son a nickname. And before he used to be really cute. But when he started reaching, I think it was like two or three years old, the son was like, I don't like that name. But the grandpa kept calling him that. So then he, the mom said, no, like he doesn't like being called that. So please stop calling him that. And now that he's a little bit older, he like takes it as a term of endearment. So he's like, oh, I do like being called that name. So the grandpa, you know, is allowed again to but it's like allowing the child to feel the feelings. And also if they're uncomfortable with it, like, yeah, why do we continue to make kids feel uncomfortable in situations that they're clearly uncomfortable in? So I thought that that was like really interesting too, is that like, these are meant to be flexible. Sometimes you'll feel like you need it in the moment. Sometimes you'll you'll feel like you need it for years. And then maybe later on it could change. It's not hard and fast all the time. So overall, it's a great experience. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I really liked being able to put names and words and experiences to 
the things that I've been wanting to do and just feeling a bit more confident in being able to do so. Yeah. And it's, it's easily readable. I think that was something that you had mentioned too. Like her writing style feels like, oh, I'm just talking to a friend casually who happens to be an expert in boundaries. Mm-hmm. So it's just very good. Definitely highly recommend. Again, four and a half stars because I wanted more of the mm, book. That part. I would give it a five out of five, but I do agree. I don't, I don't think I could give it less, a, <laughs> less of a score because I wanted more. I do want more, but I think it does deserve a five out of five. So I think in the sense that like there could be more details in some places, I think. Uh, yeah. Okay. I could see that rather than, or maybe that was her boundary that she was setting on readers of like, I don't have all the answers, friends. Like there are some things I can give and there are some things that you're going to have to figure out on your own. <laughs> Could be it. The world will never know. Except unless, you know, shout out Melissa Urban. If we, you know, you want to talk about it more. I have put your book on to like a lot of people and still do. So if you want to come on the show, Melissa Urban, you can talk about Whole30. You can talk about Book of Boundaries. You can talk about whatever the heck you want. Also, I have to look it up again. Whole30 is the one where you eliminate all the things and then reintroduce to see what you're allergic to. Makes sense. It's very nice. Overall, again, just really, really enjoyed it. So yes. Shout outs to Melissa Urban. You wrote a really great book. I've really enjoyed it. And I will continue to recommend it to people. And in fact, if you pick up this book, please let us know what you think. I just, again, or if you just want someone to practice some of the words with or setting the boundaries with, I am definitely open and available because apparently, like Emma said, I've been setting boundaries, didn't even realize it. And I don't know. I just, I'm really passionate about this because I really do think it's an important part of self-care and just your own personal well-being and protecting your peace in a way that doesn't put other people down. Ooh, was that a was that a hint at what our next episode is? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Stay tuned to find out in two weeks. But in any case, it is now time for our rapid fire question. <laughs> if you could eat foods that only start, oh, sorry. I don't know why I said sorry. I I meant to like give a little bit of an intro as to why I chose this question. <laughs> I was thinking about the question that you had with the million dollars and buying things that only start with your first name. So then I was like, oh, what if you could only eat things that started with your first name? What would you be able to eat? You know, I wouldn't eat avocados. <gasps> avocados from Mexico. What would you or eat anywhere then? else in the world. It wouldn't be that. <laughs> I mean, technically that could be apples. Asparagus. Ugh, asparagus is not my favorite. I tried really what? hard. I, I just can't do it. I love asparagus. Roasted mm -mm. asparagus, fried asparagus, boiled asparagus, kind Boiled asparagus. asparagus. <laughs> Ew. Oh my gosh. There's no... It's just... I think you buy it and then you have to cut so much of it and then... And it's so expensive. It is very expensive. And then you cook it and it gets even smaller. <laughs> and so I just get so frustrated by the end of it. I was just like, I've done all of this work and it's not even, I can't. I just, and it's 75 not 75% of it is gone. <laughs> and it's gone. It's just gone. Oh my gosh. Oh, Alfredo sauce. Ooh, oh, you it. got it. Mm -hmm. Not American cheese. I do not like American cheese. Which one? It's is that the yellow one? That's like... Yeah, it just, it's gross. The one that's in like the craft, the craft singles. <laughs> yes. So gross. I don't like it. Arugula hmm. is cute. That's a good one. 
Did you just look up foods that start with A? Definitely. <laughs> I'm dead. I could eat eggs again, which I'm highly allergic to, and that's okay. Eggplant, which I actually really love. That's one of my favorite vegetables is eggplants. I could eat... What else starts with E's? Edamame. Oh, I love edamame. Good one. Oh, can I use it like in Japanese? <laughs> I could eat ebi, which is shrimp. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> what a cheater. You know, and you know, I love some shrimp. <laughs> anyway, Christopher, what is your rapid fire question today? Would you rather own a private jet or a luxury yacht? Ooh, that's hard. Isn't it though? I feel like jet would be nice, but then yacht is almost like, that's like an otherworldly like tax bracket. And I love being on the ocean, even though, actually, no, I think I would say jet because I'm like highly seasick. So it'd have to be a very big boat for me to not be seasick on. So yeah, I'll say jet. I feel like yachts are pretty like big, aren't they? They're like, they're actually, they're pretty huge if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I Anytime anyone says yacht, I think of, did you ever watch the Proud Family movie? Mm-hmm. And then Sticky's like, we're about to get on the yacht. And they're like, the what? And he's like, the yacht. And they're like, do you mean the yacht? (laughs) You know, it does have those weird cluster of consonants at the end. Yeah. I think as someone who is unaware, if they are truly seasick, I I feel confident that I am based on the fact that I have motion sickness and like everything else. On an airplane? Yeah. There's no way that you're not on a sea as well. Yeah. I feel pretty confident. But also, like, the one time I went to a boat party, I wasn't seasick. So, like, but also that was on a lake. So, who, like, really knows? It's unclear. Because there's some part of me that's like, yeah, a jet is, like, a private jet's nice. You definitely, like, get to travel, go to places. But then, like, a yacht is just one of those, like, that slow and steady life. Like, I'll get there when I get there. Yeah. And I feel like there's something nice about, like, being able to travel by sea. Mm-hmm. I, I just, like, I like the idea of, like, oh, we're, like, docked here. Yeah, let's jump off into the ocean. <laughs> I feel like if I, like, really had to pick, it would probably be the yacht. Mm, okay. Just crossing okay. my fingers that I'm not actually seasick. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Well, Emma, where can people find the podcast? You can find our podcast on Facebook and Instagram at The Tea with Crema. If you'd like to buy us a cup of tea, you can also Venmo us at The Tea with Crema. You can find us on all of your favorite streaming places. We hope to see you next time. Bye.